So let's dive in and let's get into our new series called A Picture Perfect Christmas. Um, I want to start just by saying, like, I think probably all of us have a picture in our mind of what we think Christmas is supposed to be like. Like you have this image in your mind, like this is going to be the the picture perfect Christmas. At least I do. And, And mine is probably different from yours. But in my mind, when I imagine the picture perfect Christmas... We're, we're, we're gathered around a fire in my house, not a, a, in the fireplace, not, not out on the floor, but in the fire. The fireplace is going. Maybe there's some chestnuts roasting on the open fire, right? We've got friends and family. This is my version. Friends and family around. Everybody is well-behaved, well-mannered, and nobody's having a bad hair day. Everybody looks nice. Maybe, maybe we're in flannel pajamas. I don't know. Somebody, one of the children is playing Mozart on the piano in the other room right? Some, somebody is reciting Shakespeare in another room. It's a, very, it's a very refined kind of Christmas experience in my mind, right? Um, somebody bought me a Harley Davidson. It's got a red bow and it's sitting in the living room waiting for me to ride. There's six to eight inches of snowfall outside. There's, a, there's actually a ski lodge outside of my house and we're skiing and we're having fun. And it's, it's just this beautiful kind of picturesque. In my mind, uh, there's no stress, in my version of Christmas, there's no financial burden or uncertainty. Um, nobody's talking politics at, at, at Christmas dinner, right? Yeah, you know what I mean? Uh, like, it's just this beautiful kind of stress-free, joyful experience. We read the Christmas story. Maybe we light some candles. We pray together. We go to bed. And then that's the end of Christmas. It's a beautiful picture. When I asked my wife what her picture-perfect Christmas is, she said two words, the beach. I said, okay, that's a different, it's a different picture. Um, so we all have this picture in our mind about what Christmas and the Christmas season is supposed to be like. And yet we all know that the reality of our Christmas experience rarely, if ever, matches the picture-perfect Christmas that we have in our mind. Is that just me or does anybody else experience that? Like, you got this idea and then the reality is not matching the idea. In fact, a lot of times uh, what we find is that the Christmas season, which should be the most joyful you know, season of all, is a very stressful, difficult season for a lot of people. Um, the the uh, National Alliance for Mental Health conducted a study about people's mental health experiences during the Christmas season. Here's what they found. They found that the holidays contribute to feelings of sadness, fatigue, stress, irritability, and dissatisfaction. So chestnuts roasting on the open fire is not what most people are experiencing. They, they found that 68% of the respondents that they interviewed reported feeling financially strained during the holidays. That 66% of respondents reported experiencing loneliness, loneliness during the holidays. And that 63% of respondents reported experiencing too much pressure during the holidays. Anybody experience too much pressure during the holidays? They, they, They found that people's mental health during the holidays was actually diminished. It wasn't, for most people, just this frolicking, free, fun time. And here's what I would propose to you. Today, And this is sort of the, the proposition for this whole series. I would propose that perhaps our picture-perfect Christmas is not actually 
a perfect picture of Christmas. In other words, we have a picture-perfect image in our mind, but that's actually not the perfect picture of Christmas that God wants us to have. We have an image that we've come up with, maybe from Christmas carols, maybe from Christmas movies, maybe from the world, the culture around us. We just watched Elf last night. Uh, <laughs> um, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good Christmas picture. But, but we have these ideas in our mind. You know, even in that movie, there's this big restoration at the end. The father and son, they come together. Santa, the real guy, comes and goes off and everybody has Christmas cheer, right? We have this picture in our mind, but perhaps, perhaps the picture we have in our mind is not the perfect picture that God wants us to have. So what I wanted to do as we head into the Advent season, the five weeks before Christmas, what I wanted to do was to examine the Bible's picture of Christmas. Because what I would like for us to do this season, I'm, I'm gonna do it, I'm going for it. I would like to change my picture of Christmas. I would like to have God's picture of Christmas in my mind, rather than my picture of Christmas in my mind. Because if God's picture of Christmas is in my mind, that doesn't bring me stress, uncertainty, pain, and angst, right? It brings me love, joy, peace, and comfort. And so I want us, I want all of us this Christmas to change the picture in our mind from our picture-perfect Christmas to God's perfect picture of Christmas. Are you with me this morning? Amen. So, so here's what I did. I did something very reasonable. Most most preachers would agree this is reasonable. You go to the gospel of Matthew, the very first gospel in the Bible. You go to the first chapter, because that's going to describe the first Christmas. So I said, okay, let, I'm going to go read the first chapter of Matthew, and that's going to give me a picture of the first Christmas from God's point of view. Now, what I forgot when I started to study this is that the first chapter of Matthew, the first verse of Matthew, is just a list. It's a genealogy. It's just a, he begat him, and who begat him, and who begat him, and hat, and hidden, and not, and do, right? So I was like, ah, normally I want to skip these parts, right? Because the names may have meant something to early Israelite people, but to me, like, I don't know, Perez, Temron, da 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 I don't, I don't know these people, right? They don't have an impact on me, but I said, you know what, let me go ahead and read it. So I started reading in verse one of chapter one of Matthew, and it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So this is going to paint the picture of Christmas. And then it says this, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. So it's kind of pretty standard fare. We're going down Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? It's dad, firstborn son, dad, firstborn son, dad, firstborn son, secondborn son, doesn't make it the list. Thirdborn son, not even considered. Dad, firstborn son, dad. So, but then I get down to verse three and then something, something pops out. It goes, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, some of y'all pronounce that Tamar, but I looked it up and they said you should pronounce it Tamar. So I'm going to go with Tamar. I'm going to go with Tamar. Okay. You can go with Tammy if you want. We're just Tammy. So suddenly this mom pops up in the genealogy, right? And that's very strange because in ancient genealogies, it's just father, firstborn son, father, firstborn son. That's how you trace the lineage of somebody. You don't, in, in that day and age, you didn't put moms in, you didn't put second sons in, you didn't put daughters in. You just put the dad and the firstborn son. But suddenly here's Tamar. Tammy. 
All right, but then we go on and then it gets back into the flow because maybe it's a blip, okay? It says, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadad, Aminadad, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, and then bang, it hits us again. Here comes another mom. Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Okay, all right, okay. So that's interesting. We've got Tamar and now we've got Rahab, all right? And then we start to go a little further. And then it says, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Okay, so now we've got three women in the genealogy, three moms in the genealogy of Jesus. Okay, then it goes back to the, the dads, the dads and firstborn sons. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David, the father of Solomon, whose mother was Uriah's wife. So it does it again. Then what you get is 25 more generations of father, firstborn son, father, firstborn son, father, firstborn son, father, firstborn son, father, firstborn son. And you get all the way down and then you get to verse 16, which says, I'm sorry, you get to, yeah, 16. And it says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who was called the Messiah. So the question that I asked, I never even got off of this list. Like, I never made it any further into Matthew, just so you know. So this is going to be the whole series, okay, this list. Um, sorry, it really is. Um, but what, what I thought was like, wait a minute. You've got 40 generations of father, son, father, son, father, son. But, if, but then you've got these five moms that show up. So I go, why, why is, what, what is going on? Why is this happening? Why is this a picture of Christmas? Why would Matthew call out these five moms in this huge list of thousands of years of people. Like, what, what's the story behind that? Why is he doing that? And I first thought, well, maybe because, you know how people do when they, when they point out somebody in their genealogy that's especially noble? Like, you know what I mean? Like, you'll strain to, to find that person. You'll be like, yeah, well, actually, my great, great, great uncles, third cousins, aunts, dog sitters, wife's cousins, babysitter was married to Abraham Lincoln's grandson. So... That relates me. So, right, because we want to attach ourselves. Does anybody else do that? You, you, that's not true about my genealogy, by the way. Not that I know of. But, but we try to attach ourselves to the high points of our family tree, of our lineage. We try to find somebody in the family tree that we go, oh, that was a great person. That was a good person, right? So maybe that's what's happening in this story, in this genealogy. But as it turns out, that's not what's happening in this story. That's not what's happening at all. In fact, the circumstances in which these five mothers, these five ancestral grandmothers of Jesus, the circumstances in which they found themselves were some of the most horrifying, terrible, heartbreaking, sad, tragic experiences and circumstances that you could ever imagine. And yet the, the story writer of Matthew goes out of his way to say, hey, I want you to note these women. I want you to note Tamar. I want you to note Rahab. I want, I want you to note that Ruth was there. I want you to note that Uriah, uh, Uriah's wife, Bathsheba, was there. I, I want you to remember Mary, right? So they're describing these, these, they're actually focusing and calling out these five moms who found themselves in circumstances that would make the most of, most of us, that would crush most of us. The tragic circumstances of their lives. And so here's what I would propose to you this morning. And then, and, and then I want to get into this. I would propose that God's perfect picture of Christmas includes circumstances that were far from perfect. 
I would propose to you that unlike my picture perfect of perfect picture of Christmas, my perfect picture of Christmas is all of the externals are good. Every circumstance is good. All the people are good. Everybody's hair is good. Everybody's clothes are good. Everything's good in my perfect picture of Christmas. But in God's perfect picture of Christmas, he says, no, there are wildly imperfect people. There are wildly imperfect circumstances. There are wildly imperfect situations in my perfect picture of Christmas. Why is that? Because here's what I would propose to you. I would propose that God's perfect picture of Christmas is not a picture of perfect circumstances, not a picture of perfect people, not a, per, a, a picture of perfect situations. It's a picture of a perfect God who is breaking through into your wildly imperfect life to redeem you, restore you, renew you, and to give you hope and life. That's what Christmas is. It's a light coming into the darkness. It's good coming into evil. It's joy coming into the midst of suffering. That's the picture of Christmas. And so what I want us to do, because if that's the picture of Christmas, then I don't have to worry about my circumstance not being perfect. I don't even have to worry about myself not being perfect. I can rejoice because there's a perfect God who's breaking through to try to make joy and restoration and hope happen in my life. That's a liberating picture of Christmas. So what I'm going to do for the next five weeks, all through this Advent season, what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk us through the lives of these five mothers. We're going to look at their lives. We're going to look at the circumstances of their lives and we're going to say, wow, God highlighted that person's life in order to show us a picture of his perfect Christmas. So we're going to start with Tamar. And let me just, let me just warn you real quick. How much time we got? Okay, we're okay. How many of you ever heard a sermon preached on Tamar? Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, like three. Okay. Well, there's a good reason that you've never heard a, a, a sermon preached on Tamar. Because Tamar's life was so messed up. I'm telling you, the circumstances of her life were so messed up that I'm like, I'm not sure I want to preach this sermon. I kept saying, like, wait, Lord, hold on. Do I have to preach this sermon? I'm telling you, let, let me just warn you guys. Do we have any kids in here? Okay, I'm going to use, I'm going to go PG-13 on some of this, okay? I'm going to use the New King James Version because it uses like nice general language that kind of floats over things, right? So the adults will be like, I know what you mean. And the kids will be like, what's that mean? And then you have a talk with your own children this afternoon. Okay? This is so messed up. This sermon will mess you up and this story will mess you up and you will be messed up talking about this messed up story at your messed up lunch after church today. All right? But we're going to do it because this is what God is trying to say. He's trying to say, I want to give you a different picture of, of Christmas. Here we go. Genesis 28, 6. Here's when we meet Tammy. It says, Judah took a wife for his firstborn son named Ur. His, his son was named Ur. And her name was Tamar. This is where we meet her. We meet this young woman. She's not a wealthy woman. Uh, and she's actually marrying into a relatively well-to-do family. Um, and she gets to marry the firstborn son, which is really nice because the firstborn son in ancient Israel got the lion's share of the inheritance. So being married to the firstborn, right? Because then your, your husband gets his name in the genealogy. He gets the most money. He gets to be the leader of the, of the tribe, the leader of the clan, the leader of the family, right? So she gets to marry this really 
great guy, this firstborn son. But it turns out that things were not going so well pretty early on in their marriage because the next verse says, but Ur, Judah's firstborn son, was wicked in the sight of the Lord and the Lord killed him. Merry Christmas, everybody. We're just... <laughs> so she marries this guy. He's, he's wicked and the Lord kills him. And we know he had to be pretty wicked because there's a lot of wicked people in the, in the Bible that the Lord didn't kill. And I would propose to you after studying this, I think his wickedness was somehow directed at her because what we find out later in the story is God keeps protecting her from wickedness. All right? And so Ur gets, gets taken out of the story. And then it says uh, in verse 8, so Judah said to Onan, his second son, go into your brother's wife, go to Tamar, Tamar, and raise up an heir to your brother. Now let me just explain this really quickly. In ancient Israel, the way this worked is when, some, when a woman married into a family, when a, when a bride came into a family, she then did not have the option to leave the family, okay? If, if her husband died, she was not able to go back out on a dating app and find somebody else to marry. She had married into that family. A dowry had been paid for her, and now she's in that family. And she's gonna, her fortunes rise and fall with that family. She can't go out and get a different job. She can't do that. She is now in this family. So if her husband dies, then it is incumbent upon the second son the brother of the, of the eldest son, to give her an heir, to give her a child. And the reason is because women could not inherit property. Women could not own property at that time. And so the second, the second son needed to give her a child so that she would have a son who could stand in the place of the first son. Do you understand that genealogy? So, like, so the second son would actually be a surrogate. The problem was the second son has a disincentive to be a surrogate because this child is going to get the first son's inheritance. Okay? So the second son is supposed to marry the, 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 the widow and give her a son, but he has a disincentive to do that because that means he's going to get cut out of a piece of the inheritance. Okay? So Judah says to Onan, go into your brother's wife, give her a son, um, uh, and so to be an heir to your brother. But Onan knew that the heir would not be his. So he knows that this is not going to benefit him. And it came to pass when he went into his brother's wife that he omitted on the ground lest he should give an heir to his brother. This is one of those lines that we're just going to fly right over. <laughs> Boom. And then, uh, and the thing that he did displeased the Lord. Therefore, the Lord killed him also. I told you this was a messed up story. Do you understand why I was like, can we just do something out of Psalms today? You know, maybe. Um, so, so what we've got here is Let's just keep going and I'll explain later. Okay. Then Judah, the father-in-law, says to Tamar, his daughter-in-law. Okay, so she's lost two husbands now. The Lord has killed two of her husbands because they've both been wicked to her. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, go back to your parents' home and remain a widow until my third son, Shelah, is old enough to marry you. So he said, just, you just go wait. You be a widow. Now, the problem is being a widow in your father's house, your father's not going to be able to provide for you because all of his inheritance is going to his firstborn son. You're going to end up impoverished and destitute, okay? So go be a widow, but then when my third son is old enough, I'll have him marry you. That's what Judah said. But Judah didn't really intend to give Shelah to Tamar because he was afraid that Shelah would die also. Because all of his sons are so busted up and nasty and wicked that God keeps killing them. And he's like, well, maybe I shouldn't give Shelah to her because he might do the same thing and then he's going to be gone. So, so, so he was afraid that Shelah would also die like his two brothers. So Tamar went back to live in her father's home. Okay, 
I'm going to catch you up on here, where we are here. All right. Everybody tracking with the story so far? We got five people in this story. Let's show them the five people. Here's who we got. We've got Judah. This is the father-in-law. We've got Shelah. This is the youngest son. We got Onan, the middle son. We got Ur, uh, the eldest son. And then we have Tammy over here. Okay. So we know that, that first Judah gives Ur to Tamar. So let's, let's see that matchup. Okay. So Ur and Tamar are together, right? But Ur is wicked and he gets killed, right? So then Judah says, I'll tell you what, Ur's out. I'm going to give you Onan. All right, let's bring Onan into the picture. There you go. Now, Onan and Tamar are, are together. Onan and Tamar are married now. I mean, you know, kind of. But Onan does what he does, which we know what he did. And that was wicked in the sight of the Lord because he was supposed to give her an heir because God wants Tamar to be the great, 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 great grandma of Jesus. And so he's got this destiny and this purpose and this idea that he wants to accomplish and these people are not working with him. So he takes out Onan, right? So then Judah says, in the next slide, Judah says, okay, I will give you Shelah. I'm going to give you Shelah, right? But of course, in his mind, he says, I'm not giving her, I'm not giving Shelah to him because then I might lose Shelah as well. So it ends up that all you've got now is Judah and Tamar. Are you following this story right now? So, so Judah and Tamar is all that's left. And Tamar is in like the worst kind of circumstance that you can be in. She has lost two husbands. She is destitute. One of the husbands, I want you to understand how raw he treated her because he was willing to, uh, he was willing to be with her. Okay. He was willing to use her. Thank you. I need some, some language, some helpful language over here. He was willing to use her for his pleasure, but he was not willing to incur the cost of that pleasure. He was not willing to benefit her. So actually, he's actually treating her lower than he would treat a prostitute. Because if he had a prostitute, he would have paid her. But this woman, he's saying, I'm only going to use you as a sex object, but I'm going to make sure that you incur no benefit from my treatment of you. So this is Tamar's situation. She's lost two husband, she, husbands. She's been treated so low. And now she's completely off the market. Even if her father-in-law said, you know what, you're free to go. You're free to go. There's nobody going to marry tomorrow now. Okay. She's already lost two husbands and she's been treated this way. And this, her life is a wreck and it's messed up. So the question is, Matthew, why do you call her out? Why are you trying to highlight her for Christmas? I mean, where are the chestnuts roasting on the open fire, Matthew? Why do you have to bring this story of the craziest, wackiest, strangest, most sordid and bizarre details into my Christmas Eve sermon here. Like, why, why you got to do that, Matthew, right? And here's what I would propose to you. I would propose to you that the reason God brings Tamar into this story is that in God's picture of Christmas, in God's perfect picture of Christmas, what he's saying is it's not about perfect circumstances. It's not about perfect people. It's not about a perfect life. It's about hope in the midst of despair. This is, what, this is what Christmas is. Christmas is hope in the midst of despair. That's a different picture of Christmas than the perfect circumstances. He's saying, I want you to have a picture of Christmas that is the kind of picture that is the real picture, which is God breaking in and bringing hope where there is no hope. Amen. This year, um, earlier this year, we, I lost, you know, my mom. Some of you know this. I lost my mom. She, she, she passed away from cancer. And then a few weeks after that, we lost the mother of our church, Mother Ray. 
1992. Uh, um, and she had been with us from the beginning of, of the church. And it was, it was a sad, it was very sad to me because when my, when my mother died, I made one phone call and I, that was to Mother Ray. And then when Mother Ray died, then I was like, who am I going to call? And it was, it, was, it was a very, you know, it's was, it was been a, a hard time, a hard, a hard thing. So um, Mother Ray's 93rd birthday would have been on November 19th, which is about nine days ago, right? Is that right? November 19th? Yeah. So, so, so on her birthday, I texted um, her, Pamela and, and Ron, and I said, you know, I got this image in my mind today. In my mind, Mother Ray and Sister Rome are swapping tails and sipping tea on the streets of gold, right? And we laughed and we joked and we, you know, texted back and forth and smiley faces and hearts and all that, right? Why could we do that when this really sad thing happened? Because for us, we don't hope as those who, we don't grieve as those who have no hope. We believe in hope. We are a people of hope. We believe that there is no reason to despair because there's ultimately hope on the horizon. That's what the scripture is teaching us about Christmas. It's not teaching us that we won't have despair, that we won't have bad circumstances, that we won't have pain, that we won't have sorrow and grief. It's saying that you will have hope in the midst of that despair. You will have hope in the midst of that grief. I don't have these scriptures for you. I just want to read them real quick. Romans 5, 3 says, we rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Romans 12, 12 says, we rejoice in hope. 1 Thessalonians 4.13, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Romans 15.13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. You see, God is saying, I want you to have hope this morning. That's what Christmas is about. It's not about the circumstances. It's not about the outside. It's about saying, I have hope in the midst of the storm. I have peace in my soul, even though things are bad. Even in the midst of despair and grief and sorrow, I have hope. Tamar kept hope. And the reason we know this is that she kept going. She did not give up. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip over a part of the story, but I'll tell it to you real quick. Judah, her father-in-law, his wife died. Okay. So now there's Judah and there's Tamar. And that's all that's left. Ur's gone, Onan's gone, Shayla's out of the picture. And Tamar says, I, I cannot live out here in destitution. I cannot be in this family but not have a child. And so Tamar gets desperate. Tamar gets desperate. The scripture says that she actually disguised herself as a prostitute. And she went and sat by the side of the road where she knew that Judah was going to be coming by after Judah's wife had died. And then the scripture says this, when Judah saw her, because he comes walking down the road, his wife's gone now, right? I don't have time to even tell this whole story, but when Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute because that's what she, she put a veil over her face and she disguised herself for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law. He went over to her by the roadside and said, come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you? She said, I will send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send the goat? In other words, I need the, your driver's license. I need some kind of collateral, something to identify you so that I'm sure that the goat will arrive at my doorstep. So he said, what pledge should I give you? She said, I want your seal. I want your cord and I want your staff. 
These are identifying markers for him. They all have his identifying information on it. These are, this is his stuff. Your seal, your cord, and your staff. So he gave them to her, and then he slept with her, and then she became pregnant by him. So this happens. Now, finally, she, has a ch- she, is, she is pregnant with a child from this family. Then it says about three months later, Judah was told. Now, he, he never figured out who he had slept with. He was told, uh, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. So now somebody says, hey, your daughter-in-law, who's supposed to be a widow, is, pre- is pregnant through prostitution, okay? Now this is where you get, it gets, this is the lowest of the low, okay? Because here's what Judah says. Judah says, bring her out and have her burned to death. I mean, can you just, can you just sit in the hypocrisy of that for just a moment? Like he's the one that hired her and got her pregnant, doesn't know it, and then when he finds out that his daughter-in-law is pregnant at, by prostitution, he says, well, well you got to kill her. We've got to kill her because that's, that's evil, right? These circumstances are so messed. Did I tell you they were messed up? This is the most messed up story. I'm never preaching this sermon again, by the way. This is just the last time I'm preaching on this scripture. They're so messed up and you have to keep saying, God, why would you put this in the story? of Jesus and the stable and the cow and the little star and suddenly you got prostitution and incest and all kinds of crazy stuff. Why? Because God is trying to say, my picture of Christmas is deliverance in desperate circumstances. That's my picture of Christmas. My picture of Christmas is it's all messed up. Your life's messed up. Your circumstances are messed up. There's pain, there's sorrow, there's struggle. And some of it's you and some of it's other people. And you know, you're not doing everything perfect either. And it's a whole mess. But I love you and I'm gonna break through all that mess so that I can save you and draw you out and deliver you because that's what I do. I'm a deliverer. That's That's what the Messiah coming to earth is about. It's a savior born to us, a deliverer born to us. When you look at the scripture, you keep seeing this theme over and over and over and over and over again. When you see Jonah in the belly of a whale, that's a story of deliverance. When you see the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace, that's a story of deliverance. When you see the Israelites at the Red Sea with Pharaoh coming this way and the sea over here and God stops them and it parts the sea, that's a story of deliverance. When you see Peter stepping out of the boat and the storm is raging, that's a story of deliverance. When you see David across from Goliath, that's a story of deliverance. God is saying, this is who I am. I'm a deliverer. I've come to deliver you. That's what Christmas is. I've come to deliver you out of these horrifying circumstances and situations that you're in. I want to tell somebody today, I don't, I don't know everybody's circumstances in here. Don't need to know. Don't want to know. But I know that they're messed up. I know that some of you have some messed up circumstances with family, with friends, with your health, with, with all kinds of, with your children, with your parents, all kinds of stuff. It's messed up. And God's saying, yeah, that's Christmas. I've come to set you free from that. I've come to deliver you in that. I've come to heal you in the midst of that. That's all right. That's Christmas. You don't have to put on the guise like everything's good, right? That's not Christmas. <laughs> they didn't even put a little thin veneer or coating over here. Like they, they told all the graphic details in graphic detail, right? Because he's saying, I've come to deliver you from those circumstances. So Tamar is about to be killed for 
prostitution, right? And then it says this in verse 25. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. <laughs> Imagine this message. I love this. I just want to send you a message, father-in-law, Judah. She says, I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Oh, come on, Tamar. I like her. I like her. It's like, a, do you recognize this? It's like, I don't know. I had this driver's license from somebody who came and, you know, and do you recognize the picture? And the scripture says that Judah recognized them because they were his and said, she is more righteous than I. Everybody in this story did Tamar wrong. They did her wrong in every imaginable way. They did her wrong in every conceivable way. And I got to say, I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to judge because her, her life was so messed up. But like, it seems kind of crazy that she did what she did too, right? I mean, okay, I'm not going to judge her because she was in a really bad situation, right? But everybody in this story is a, at least a little messed up. Can we agree to that? Everybody in this story is kind of like a little on the edge, right? Why is everybody in this story messed up? Everybody. Because God is saying to us that the picture perfect of Christmas is actually a perfect God fulfilling his perfect purpose through imperfect people. This is what Christmas is. This is you and me saying, I am, I am Christmas. I am the reason for Christmas. What's the reason for Christmas? You're the reason for Christmas. Your messed up life, your messed up situation, your messed up circumstances, your messed up mind, your messed up behavior, your messed up relationships, that's the perfect picture of Christmas. It's God coming in and going, I came for those who are messed up. Don't act like you're not messed up. I know you're not this messed up, but <laughs> I hope not. But, but he tells us the most messed up story to say, none of your messed upness intimidates me. I'm good. I can save you from all your messed upness. If you don't think so, you should read the story of Tamar. In fact, if you don't, you should go read the story of Tamar because I left some bits out, okay? He's saying, I don't care how messed up your life is. I've come to redeem it. I've come to restore you. I've come to save you. And that's what Christmas is, is all about. That's the picture perfect of Christmas. I'm gonna end with this. When Jesus was starting his ministry, the, the Pharisees, the lawyers, the scribes and everybody, they noticed that he was hanging around with the Ur's and the Onans and the, uh, and the Shelahs and the Judas of the world. He was hanging around with the lowlifes, with some bad people, right? He was hanging around with some people that you go, oh. He was hanging around with some Tamars. He was hanging around with some prostitutes. He was hanging around, he was hanging around that crowd. And so... In, uh, Matthew, in Mark 2, it says, when, when the teachers of the law, and they, they all saw him doing this, the Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors and the, you know, the people that were just on the, on the low end of the spectrum. They asked the disciples, why is he eating with them? Why is he spending time with them? Why is he hanging around with this group of riffraff? Why is he messing with them? Why is he doing that? On hearing this, because Jesus heard, heard him, because his disciples were probably like, I don't know. I don't know. Why don't you ask him? So, so Jesus hears it and he says to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. 
He says, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call the sinners. I've come into the midst of your messed up world to call you because I love you and I know how messed up you are and you can't be too messed up for me. I've come to redeem you, to save you, to draw you out and to bring you into my story. I've come to elevate all your mucky muck and all your nastiness and all that nastiness and I've come to elevate that and bring righteousness and peace and hope right into the midst of your story. Tamar had twins. How about that? Perez and Hezron. And one of them, Perez, I have to go back to my genealogies. You know how I am with genealogy. One of them ends up being like having another child and another child. And anyway, they come all the way down to the birth of Jesus. Tamar is the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. And the last thing that's said about her is that she is righteous. She's righteous. She's righteous. She's made righteous by God. Because God said, I'm going to fulfill my purpose and my destiny through you. Even though you're imperfect. I'm going to fulfill my purpose through my imperfect vessels. That should give somebody hope this morning. That should give somebody hope that our picture perfect Christmas is not about the perfect circumstances. I would not have written the Christmas story this way. P.S. I would have redacted that part of the story. I would have deleted it. Control, alt, delete. No, thank you. I don't want Tamar in the my Christmas story, right? But God says, no, no, no. I want her in my story because my story is about hope in the midst of despair. And my story is about deliverance in the midst of desperate circumstances. And my story is about affecting my perfect purpose through imperfect people. So what I would call us to do as a church, as a family, as a community today, don't hide your dysfunction from God. Don't hide your pain and your shame and your sorrow and your anxiety and your guilt and your worry and your fear and all your messed upness. Don't, don't try to cover that to present a picture perfect story. Don't try to do that because that's not a perfect picture of Christmas. The perfect picture of Christmas is here's all my stuff. Here's all my messed upness. And I'm giving it to you because you're perfect and you're going to redeem me and you love me and I'm yours. Over the next several weeks, we're going to explore the stories of these mothers and their circumstances. And I want to invite you as a church community, our, our scripture team, our prayer team made these little booklets. If you didn't get one, please get one on your way out. This is an invitation to a different kind of story for Christmas. I want a different story this Christmas. I want a different picture this Christmas than the one I normally have. Because I can just, I'm going to tell you on the real, for me, Christmas is generally a time of stress and anxiety and worry and uncertainty. It is that for me often. And so, you know, I've gradually learned and I'm still learning to go, I should get the picture that I have in my mind of Christmas out of my mind. And I should get God's picture in my mind because that gives me freedom. That gives me liberty and that gives me hope. So I want to invite you to take these with you and each week during Advent, Advent is the season where we're waiting for the Messiah. We're, 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 with the, we're with the early Israelites and thinking and praying along those lines. And just take, take time each week and spend some time in prayer, spend some time in scripture. Declutter your mind from the, can I just urge you, declutter your mind from the nonsense on the news and on social media and on all of the crazy platforms that, that we're all on. I was going to say you all. 
but it's we all. We're all on, right? Declutter your mind from that and get a, get a picture of Christmas that is God's perfect picture of Christmas this morning. I'm going to close in prayer. I would ask that you all bow your heads and pray with me. Father, you are good, 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 good. You are so good. You're good in bad situations. You're good in bad circumstances. You're good when we're bad. Your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in our weakness. You are a deliverer. You are a savior. You are a good and perfect God. And today, God, I ask that you would clear out the picture in our mind that we have of the perfect Christmas, the picture perfect Christmas, and bring your picture in. Your picture of working in the lives of people who are struggling and uncertain and full of pain and anguish and difficulty and hardship and troubled relationships. I pray, Lord God, that you would shine a light on our life, God, and shine a light on the purpose that you have in us and for us. And I pray, God, that the perfection of your grace, the perfection of your mercy, and the perfection of your love would shine through in the imperfection of our world today. Father, I pray that you would ultimately receive all honor, all praise, and all glory for this. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. I want to invite you as we close to join us in worship in a few different ways. Um, there's a QR code, and you can, you can actually scan that from your seat. If you want to get baptized, scan that code and let us know you want to get baptized. If you want to join us for membership class next Sunday, please scan that code and register for our membership class. Um, anything that you want to communicate. If, if you want to commit your heart to the Lord and say, I want, to, I, want to, I want to follow that kind of Savior, please let us know. Scan that code with your phone, with your, with your uh, photo app. Scan that and then click on it and that will give you um, access to, to fill out uh, all of the things that you need to fill out on our connection card. Um, I also want to invite you, if this is your church home, uh, to be a part of giving, of generosity, of, of advancing God's kingdom, advancing this message around the world. This is the most generous church I've ever been around in my entire life. The Beyond Campaign is doing incredibly well. People are giving and committing and, and, and advancing the mission. And I'm so, so grateful for you. Um, we're able to sponsor all of our ministries and mission partners that we support. One of them is in the lobby today, a ministry called For His Glory Ministries. They've been partners with us for many, uh, many years. They provide um, uh, housing and, and, and all kinds of resources to people without housing and food and people in homeless situations. Uh, Pamela Ford, I believe, will be out there with Forest Glory Ministries. Stop by and learn about them and see what, what you're supporting with your finances. Um, but we invite you to participate in giving um, if this is your church home. And also, I want to invite you, if you need prayer this morning, because your life, though not as bad as Tamar's, is a little bit messed up. Okay, And you need some prayer. Our prayer team is in the side auditorium as you go out on your left. And they are in there to pray for you and to pray with you. Also, you can take communion in that side auditorium if you want to take the bread and the cup and remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. You can do that as well. Would you all stand with me now as we close out our service? I want to invite you to open your hearts, open your mouths, and sing with our worship team.